Hey, my name's Brian Bradley. I'm one of the pastors here at Outward, and um, I want to open up our Bibles, and I want to go to a passage that is probably familiar to everyone in this room to one degree or another. This is one of those passages that is quoted over and over and over, not just in Christian circles, and it's certainly that. It's on many coffee cups and everything else, uh, but it, it's quoted in pop culture, too. Uh, some of the artists that came to mind and a couple others that I had to uh, find on a search. But Kanye West has quoted this uh, passage, The Offspring, which I love. Um, Coolio uh, quoted this in Gangster's Paradise. It's not really my thing, but it's all good. U2, Grateful Dead, Pink Floyd. And the list goes on and on and on. It's super common, super familiar, especially one portion of this passage that we'll get into. What I don't want to have happen is, is just for us to tune out which I think is easy for all of us to do. It's easy for me to do when I, when I turn to this and I begin reading it and studying it for this week. It's easy for me to tune it out and say, yeah, 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 I've heard that so many times. I know, I know what that says. But I would just ask, let's set that aside for a minute because I think that there's, along with the familiarity, there, there's a great deal of detail that we miss. There's a, a great deal of meaning that we may not know or understand. This was written a few thousand years ago, and so there's some disconnect that I think, hopefully, I can shed a little bit of light on through, through, the, through my studying this week, and guys much older and smarter than me. Um, and, and so let's go to this with fresh eyes. Let's, let's hear this. Uh, the passage I'm talking about is Psalm 23. Uh, so if you have a, a Bible or a phone with a Bible app or whatever, go ahead and open that up. Let's take a look at Psalm 23. It's a short passage, but it is, it is rich and it is deep, and I hope we get something of value out of it this morning. Psalm 23 reads like this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He leads me, I'm sorry, I skipped. Uh, he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely, Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's our passage, and I just want to take and, and just walk through this together, verse by verse, and kind of dig into it a little bit, and, and I hope this uh, provides value for you. Uh, I, I hope that you are encouraged, and at the same time, I hope you are challenged as I was uh, going through this. So real quickly, just there in verse 1, as, as we get started, um, this is a psalm that was written by David. This is King David uh, of the nation of Israel. He wrote this, and he says, the Lord is my shepherd. And this is not just a bizarre, off-the-wall analogy or, or, or metaphor or anything like this, but it's something that David was familiar with. It was his past employment. David started his life as a young boy. He was a shepherd. And so this would be taking, if, 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 if you were to be writing this or if I were to be writing this, it's not just throwing something out there, but it's, it's taking something familiar. It's taking a past job and, and using it. And so I was thinking, you know, 
Pastor Matt always has these cool stories of his construction days, you know, and, and things like this. And, and I thought, well, you know, I've, I've, uh, I've got a past, uh, you know, past employment as well, a little bit of history. I was a painter, a professional painter, uh, for a very brief stint. Um, and <laughs> it, it came about like this, right? So I was helping my dad out, and, and my dad has a, a, a paint sprayer. And I was taking it from one place to another, and it was in the back of my truck. And I get out of my truck at this place, and this guy, this contractor, walks up and he goes, "Hey, I see that paint sprayer. Uh, paint sprayer, are are you a painter?" And I look at my truck and I go, "Yep." And he goes, "Oh, great! I've been looking for a painter that's available to to do a job next week. Could could you do that job?" Yep, sure. Uh, I was like 17 at the time. Listen, this is on him, though. You don't hire a 17-year-old if you want something done right, okay? Like, listen, it's not even my fault. So anyway, I was a painter for one job, and it was terrible, and it, and it was what made me decide I was not cut out to be a painter. Um, so anyway, I, I was just thinking, like, if I wrote this psalm, would I say, the Lord is my general contractor. I shall not want. He leads me by the drinking fountain or something. Like, I... It would be less poetic, to be honest. Uh, you know, but that's kind of what David's doing here. This, this idea of a shepherd is, is not really a, a high place. This is not a job that was honorable or, or sought after necessarily. Uh, shepherds lived vast amounts of, of their life out in the wilderness with no companions but sheep. Uh, that's not a... Uh, you know, not a lot of workplace interaction or anything like this. Often, depending on the season and things like this, they would sleep in the fields with the sheep to protect them. We'll get into that here in a little bit. Um, if you spend that much time with sheep, you can imagine how one might smell, <laughs> right? If you are not near a shower or anything, which you're just hanging out in the wilderness with sheep all the time. And so, you know, shepherds, th this is not like a... Uh, you know, something to be highly esteemed necessarily, and yet David chooses this uh, from his past to describe the Lord, to describe God. And God doesn't, uh, you know, apparently doesn't resent this because uh, consistently throughout Scripture, God uses a shepherd uh, as the way to describe himself to us. In fact, Jesus, when he comes later, uh, goes to that same metaphor, and, and he, he describes himself as a shepherd. That, too, we'll get into a little bit. But this is something that, that God apparently wears with pride, which is just kind of blows my mind, such a lowly position. But God would, would say, man, this is something relatable. This is something that people understand, and, and, and this is uh, how I am toward my people, toward my sheep. That's how God uses this. And if God is the shepherd, if the Lord is my shepherd, that makes me, by definition, a sheep, right? And, and so we think about sheep a little bit. Um, I mean, sheep are dumb. They are helpless. They are high maintenance. I thought I would start off my sermon strong by calling everyone here dumb. I thought that, that probably can't go wrong, right? That, that's, how, uh, that's how we are in this psalm is, is we are the sheep. We're... We're totally helpless. We, we need a shepherd to watch over us. If not for the shepherd, we would be just totally lost, probably kill ourselves, run off a cliff, whatever. Stupid things sheep do. And we do those things, right? So we, we are sheep. 
Um, I, I remember I, I read an article years ago now, and I don't remember any details about it other than this. Uh, there was a, a video game developer who was uh, making a game about shepherding sheep, which sounds thrilling. Um, and, and they were bragging that they had designed this AI, this artificial intelligence, uh, that is dumb. They, they designed artificial intelligence so that the sheep would do stupid things and wander off and not do what you expected them to or what you wanted them to or what you told them to. And the, 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 the author of the article pointed out that you don't really have to program AI to be dumb. Like anyone who's ever used Siri or Alexa or like any of these, you're like, uh, no, it's pretty much dumb on its own. Like it never does what you want it to do. Uh, it's never really helpful. Uh, and so it's, it's not really a technological advancement to make dumb AI. That's, it kind of goes, um, goes with what AI is. Likewise, sheep don't need to be made dumb. David doesn't need to say anything else. Anyone who's had any interaction with sheep, which would have been more common in that day and that place, goes, oh, yeah, okay. I, I get that. I understand that. So that's, that kind of establishes the relationship here. The Lord is the shepherd. We are the sheep. David puts himself in that place. He says, I am a sheep, and God is my shepherd. Then he goes on in the second part of that verse. He says, I shall not want. And I think that there's, there's two things that are significant here with I shall not want. One is he will provide for me, right? Uh, on first reading, that's, I think, the, the thing you pick up first is that, you know, there, there's a promise there that God will provide for me. Uh, if he is the shepherd and I am the sheep, he's not going to allow me to die of starvation. He's not going to uh, allow me to wander off in the wilderness where it's cold and I'll, and I'll die of, of freezing or anything like that. I, I, I shall not want. I'm not going to be without. God is going to take care of me. But I think that there's, there's another meaning there. There's, there's another layer to that, which I believe David intends as he writes this, which is, I, I shall not want. There's, a, there's an action there. There's a determination. There's, there's a decision to not want. How easy is it as Christians to know that I shall not want and yet want? Are you, are you tracking with me? Do you understand? We know I shall not want, and yet there are many things that we still want. And I think that there's a determination here to say, no, I shall not want. I will see that which the Lord gives me, and I shall not want anymore. I, I am making the determination to be satisfied with that which the good shepherd provides to me. So there's... There's two sides of that. I don't need to worry because my, my needs will be cared for. And I, don't, uh, I also don't need to want for any more than what he gives me. Uh, I think that there's, there's a, a certain resolve there as, as David says that. And then moving on into verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. As I was reading and, and studying on this a little bit, I found that sheep do not lay down unless they, they have certain needs met. So when it says, he, you make me lie down in green pastures, it's not like, mm, you know, it's not like shoving them down to the ground. You, 
Uh, but for a sheep to lay down, he has to, number one, a sheep has to feel safe. If, if, if the sheep feel like there's a predator nearby, uh, if there's rustling in the bushes or something, the, the sheep do not feel comfortable. They're not going to lay down. They want to be ready. They, they want to be ready to scatter in whatever random direction sheep decide to scatter in when harm comes. Uh, but they, they're, they're nervous and they're on edge. And so they have to feel safe. They have to feel like there are no predators around, that there's, there's nothing going to harm me, right? I, I read in, in a book, it's, uh, it's called um, a, a Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. Super interesting, short book, great read if you, uh, if you get a chance, if you want to know more about this psalm. Uh, but it's a guy who was a shepherd, like a legitimate shepherd in, uh, I think, uh, northern Africa or something like this, and then um, became a pastor later in life and, and writes about the psalm from that perspective. And, and he talked about uh, the first time his sheep were attacked in the night. And he gets up the, the next morning and he comes out to the field, and it's just this bloody mess. It's horrific. Just a, a couple of wolves or, or wild dogs can tear apart a flock of sheep. I mean, it's, it's gruesome. And so he, he, he describes his shock and his horror, and, and, and he you know, describes his resolve to never let that happen again. He loves these sheep, he cares for these sheep, and, and he needs them. He, he needs these sheep, you know, it's his living, that's his chosen career. And so he says, I'm not gonna let that happen again. And so he describes sleeping next to his rifle. And when he would hear, uh, you know, odd noises out in the field, he would grab his rifle and his flashlight that he kept right by his bed, and he would go running out into the field ready to shoot down any predator that was coming after his sheep. And he found that when he was in the, the field with the sheep, they would calm down instantly. When their shepherd is nearby, they know that they're safe. When the shepherd is nearby, rifle in hand, flashlight ready to ward off anyone who would harm his sheep, they go, okay, I don't need to worry now. Now they can lie down. Uh, another need that sheep have before they will lie down is, is they have to be fed. They, they need food and water. They need to feel comfortable. And so this too, there's a parallel that, that as God's sheep, when it says, you know, when, when David says, he makes me lie down, there's an understanding that I will be defended and protected and I will be well fed and, and have all the water I need. I will be comfortable. I'll be able to rest. And of course, He's talking not just of physical rest, but, but spiritually. I know I will be well fed, that, that God provides that which I need, and I'll be able to relax, lie down in green pastures, drink of the still waters. And then there's, there's more there, too, as, um, as we look into what shepherds would do. This was not a, a simple job where you just you know, put up a fence and, and let the sheep go do their thing. Sheep are so dumb that they, uh, they eat the grass down and they actually will destroy the land. They will eat the grass all the way down and then they will paw at the, at the dirt and dig up the roots and then eat the roots of the grass and then leave nothing left to regrow. And then the land begins to erode away and, and all these kinds of things. Sheep will not, they don't know how to care for their own land or anything. So the shepherd has to know his sheep and know what they need and lead them from pasture to pasture so that they get all the nutrient they need, so that they don't destroy the land, so that they can continue to survive. So there's this like intimate, caring, ongoing love that is shown as he makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me to still waters, that God is actively uh, involved in, in this process with us. 
right? And then on into verse 3, the beginning of verse 3. He restores my soul. I don't think this is an accident that immediately after he describes the green pastures and the still water, David says, he restores my soul. And I think the question to me and the question to you is, what is it that restores your soul? Is it he or is it the green pastures and the, and the still waters? I think that often we can look to the gifts that God gives us, the things which he provides for us, and we can find our restoration there, which is not proper. It's easy to take God's gifts and to keep God at a distance and say, this green pasture, this, you know, the, the new job that I got, the family that I have, things are going well right now. God has blessed me. These things restore my soul. And I'm good. And God's not involved in my mind. Right? So David points out, no, it's he, it's the shepherd that restores my soul. There's a recognition that these gifts come from the shepherd. That without the shepherd, I wouldn't have green pastures. I would have destroyed the only good thing I had. Without the good shepherd, I wouldn't have found the still waters to drink from. I would have wandered and died of thirst. No, these are good gifts from a good shepherd, from a good God. He is the one who restores my soul. That is an important, important distinction. There's another sense of restoring when we, when we look at sheep, um, there's, there's a, a, a phrase called cast sheep. Uh, I don't know how many shepherds we got in the room. <laughs> um, nobody knows. Cast sheep or uh, downcast sheep. And apparently this is a thing that's really common. I didn't know this until I was reading up on it. But sheep will lay down on a hill or, or near a divot in the ground and uh, they'll get comfy and relax and then roll onto their backs and they will die. They, they have not the ability to right themselves once they roll onto their backs. I mean, this is so, it's so sad, but also hilarious. Just like this big fat sheep. It's laying there with its legs and I mean, they'll, they'll panic and the legs are flailing and, and like gases build up inside their body and, and then they end up suffocating. It's terrible. It's really horrible. Um, but like, th- that's just how helpless sheep are. They'll be downcast. That's, a, that's what shepherds call it. They're downcast or cast. Um, and one of the jobs of a shepherd every day or every couple of days, um, depending on the situations, in, in hot sun, if a sheep becomes cast, it can die in a few hours. Uh, in cooler temperatures, if it's cloudy, rainy, that sort of thing, they'll survive a few days cast with their feet in the air. Um, and so depending on the season, the, the shepherd has to constantly be walking around counting his sheep and seeing, uh, oh, is there any missing? And if there's one missing, then he has to go looking for it. And he's looking, you know, across the, the hills and looking for little sheep legs sticking in the air. And then he'll run to it because every moment counts and he'll pick this thing up and then they're, they're off and they're happy and they run off with the other sheep. And so when, when David talks about you restore my soul, there's this sense of, of restoration that, that a shepherd has to restore his sheep when they've done something stupid and they've fallen on their back 
and they can't get up, he, he has to go and, and restore them back to their feet so that they can carry on. And so that's a, a description here as, as we look at how, how God cares for us, how he loves us. When, when one of us becomes downcast or when one of us has, has fallen astray, we know that the shepherd is searching for us, looking for us. Um, just the other day, we, we moved into a new house a few months ago, and it doesn't have a, a fence around the backyard yet. Um, and so it's fairly secluded. We're not super worried about it. But I left the garage door open. I was working on something, and then I got distracted. One of the kids needed something, and so I was tending to them. And then I go back out to the garage where uh, Ruby, our oldest daughter, our five-year-old, was, and she wasn't there. And I look in the garage and go, Ruby, Ruby, where are you? And there's no reply. And panic sets in. I mean, if, if you've been in this situation, I'm, I'm sure anyone with kids has been here, right? Where there's just panic for a second. Where, where did she go? Did she go out to the street? Did, did someone abduct her? Did she get hit by a car? Where, is she wandering? Is she lost? What, and panic sets in. And I, Ruby, Ruby, Ruby. And I start like running through the house, checking door to door. I want to find her, and I'm searching frantically, and the other kids need something, like our uh, middle daughter always needs milk. She drinks like two gallons of milk a week. It's ridiculous. I need milk. Not now. I got to find Ruby. Uh, She doesn't understand. Now she's crying, uh, but I'm like searching frantically, and then she was in her room. I I bust through her her door. uh, You know, I, I go, I fling it open, and there she is. She's just playing. She goes, what, Dad? And I... I was so overwhelmed with joy that she's fine, that she didn't go out the garage to the street, but that she came back in the house and was just playing in a room, but also like this overwhelming, you know, like, why didn't you respond? I've been yelling for you. I've been searching everywhere. I don't know why I didn't look in her room first. That would have made sense, but I didn't, uh, you know, because your mind is like going to all the worst things, and, and, and I, I don't know, Dad, I, I didn't hear you, or, or I was busy playing, or, or whatever, and so there's like frustration comes out too, and I, I ended up scaring her because it's just like this rah of emotion coming out, uh, and I was just happy that she was fine and, and everything, and it was good two seconds later, and I got milk for the other girl, and, and so we're good, but you know, in like a tiny way, I, I can kind of understand, you know, this shepherd who, who cares for and loves these sheep when one's missing, you think, God, where are they? Are they? I mean, did a wolf get them? Did they wander off? Did they fall into a ravine? Did they become downcast? Are they flailing around somewhere? How long have they been like that? I've got to find them. I've got to restore them. And that's the kind of care that, that David would be so aware of as a shepherd in his younger years. He would know what that's like to search for. The, the, you know, and, and that mix of emotions when he finally finds one of his wayward sheep. And that's a description, too, that, that Jesus uses in Matthew chapter 18, in, in verse 12. I'm not going to read the whole story, but Jesus tells this parable about a shepherd who has 100 sheep, and he knows where 99 of them are, but one becomes lost, and he searches and he searches and he finds it, and he rescues it, and he rejoices and he throws a party because the one that was lost has been found. Isn't there more rejoicing over that one that was lost than the 99 that stayed. And it just gives us a picture of how Jesus cares for his sheep, how he searches, how that same mix of emotions, as, as I may make huge mistakes, as, as I may 
sin willfully or as I may wander from God at points in my life, there, there may be with God a, a certain amount of frustration, but there's also incredible joy, and I can just imagine the mix of emotions. It, me, as, as an imperfect father, the, the mix of emotions I feel for my daughter when I find that she's not lost, but she's found that she, uh, you know, was here all along. Man, what mix of emotions must God experience when one of his sheep that has become lost becomes found, one of his sheep that was downcast is now with him? That's what David describes here. The, uh, I'm, I'm reminded of the psalm we often read, and in it, the, it has this verse, and it says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it, seal it, seal it for thy courts above. I love that every time we sing that as a church because I just know that of myself. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Like a sheep that is prone to wander, that's me. I'm too dumb to realize how great my shepherd is that I just wander off away from him for no apparent reason just to see what's over there. God, prone to wander, I feel it. I'm prone to leave the God that I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for your courts above, right? That's, that's what I'm reminded of here as, as we look at this. Uh, he restores my soul. Moving on in, in the later half of uh, verse 3. Uh, let me find this here. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So he leads me in paths of righteousness, right? It is proper for the shepherd to lead the sheep. Why? Because the sheep don't know where they're going. The shepherd knows. He, he knows what pastures are green at this time of year. He knows which ones have been overeaten and which ones are ready to be eaten. He knows and he leads the way. He knows where the, where the wolves are and how to lead the flock away and around from that place. He knows where we're going. It's proper that the shepherd would lead and that the sheep would follow. But we don't always play it out that way, right? Have you ever been in a situation, I, I don't know if anyone can relate with this. I, I hope you can. This is, uh, I, I get in these situations sometimes. I, I don't know why. But you like go to somebody's house or something. It's like, hey, Johnny, hey, nice to, nice to see you. And, and you, you know, maybe this is the first time you've been to, to this friend's house or something like that. And they, they hold the door open, come on in. Right, and then you step in. Whoop, there's a speaker there. You step in, and, and now you're leading in their house. They're behind you, and it's a narrow hallway, so there's like not a way for them to get around. They're like, yeah, head on into the living room. It's like, yeah, this, to, the, to the left. Oh, oh yeah, right. I, yeah, I know. Anybody been in that situation where you, you end up leading inadvertently, and you have no idea where you're leading? Um, <laughs> they, my, my dog does this all the time. It's like, okay, Izzy, let's go. She's this super stupid uh, yellow lab, and um, she's old and, and confused and everything. Anyway, she, it's like, okay, let's go, and she like bolts in front of us, gets in, in front of us, and she's going, and she has no idea what's happening. She doesn't know if we're going to the car because we're going to the beach or something, or if we're going to the backyard, but she's leading. It's like, no, not that way, this way, right? As stupid as my dog is, taking the lead, that's what we do. That's what I do with God. I, I take the lead. I try to, and I don't know where we're going. It's, it's improper, but it happens all the time. It is the shepherd who should be leading. 
I found this great quote as I was studying this week. It's from Charles Spurgeon. He says, The sheep before the shepherd is out of place and out of order, but the sheep behind the shepherd, quietly, patiently, humbly following him, is both according to the order of nature and the order of grace. Let us then, as the Lord's sheep, learn to take that position and not attempt to usurp the prerogative of our great shepherd. Isn't that great? Isn't that encouraging? Don't we need to hear that? And then right, right behind that, right, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And I won't belabor this, but are we going through our lives for his name's sake or for ours? Pastor Matt's been, been preaching through this Kingdom of God series. Are we about his kingdom or am I about my kingdom? That's what David's hinting at here. You lead me in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Our lives should be about making God's name great, not my own. Verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This in particular is the verse that has been quoted over and over and over in Christian and non-Christian sources alike. It maybe is quoted more in non-Christian uh, you know, songs than it is even in, in Christian songs, which is a shame. Because there's something so understandable and, and relatable in here. There are times in my life, though today is not one of them, but there are times in my life where this described exactly what I was feeling. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I felt like the, the very shadow of death was hovering over me. Like I was in this, this deep gorge with cliffs on either side. No way out to the left or to the right. All I could do was continue going forward and hope that something other than death would meet me on the other end. This is what David's describing. He has felt this many times in his life. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he says, I will fear no evil. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So within the, the cycle of shepherding throughout a year, in the summertime, uh, a shepherd will take his uh, sheep up into the mountains, into high prairies to, to graze on the grass up there as snow melts and that sort of thing, It'll lead them, them up. And part of that journey oftentimes take them through treacherous valleys on their way to the grass that the sheep need during the summer months. And the dangers that would, uh, that would surround the sheep at this time, that, you know, during this journey, which was necessary, the, the dangers that would face them uh, is obviously one of slipping and, and falling, of, of going astray while in this valley. And so the, the shepherd has his crook, has his, uh, his rod and his staff, and he would use one of those 
for keeping the sheep on the path. If one started wandering too far off where it would be in danger, he'll, he'll pull it back in. Or he may even give it a whack, which is unpleasant to think about uh, as, as we're sheep. But, but sometimes quick discipline is needed, right? You, you think about these times in life where God allows us, uh, where, where God disciplines us, allows us to feel discomfort. We think, God, what are you doing? And God may be thinking, there's a cliff right beyond that uh, that mound, that uh, trail, that ridge, whatever. There's a cliff and you're going to fall off to your own destruction. It is a loving shepherd who disciplines his sheep to keep them on the path so that they can get through this time, through this trial, through this valley to the grasslands that wait on the other side. But there's another use for the rod and for the staff which relates to the other danger when sheep are going through the valley. And that is of predators. You think about this now. If there's cliffs on either side, you can only go forward and back. And in fact, if you have, I can only imagine, a, a narrow valley or a narrow trail and many sheep turning around and going the other way is probably not an easy thing to do. Right? Many sheep would probably die in trying to turn around the stampede and everything would be uh, created. And so a predator, a wolf or a lion or a cougar or whatever it might be, knows that this is a great place to waylay the sheep. This is a great place to go after them. And in the trials in our life, Satan may know this is a great time to go after them. They, they will be easily confused and frightened. They already feel like they are in the valley of the shadow of death. Now is my time to pounce. Where are they going to go? And David says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Why do they comfort him? Because while the shepherd is here with his rod and his staff, he knows that he will be kept on the path, and if some enemy comes, he has to deal with the shepherd. He has to deal with the shepherd's rod. I, I was reading some detail in this. They would, when, when a shepherd, you know, when a boy was becoming a shepherd, when he was training with his father, uh, what they would do is they would go find a young sapling of a tree and, and dig it up by the roots, and they would hand-carve this into the, the rod, and it would be, you know, a, a handle on this end and this long thing, and they would leave this, like, knurled knot of wood on the other end, right? That was for, whack, you know, uh, clobbering enemies uh, and, and things like that, you know, predators that would come for the, for the sheep, and they practiced throwing these things. They would throw these rods... And, uh, and, and get very good aim over very great distances so that if an enemy, if a, if a predator was coming to attack the sheep, he could just chuck this thing over the top of the sheep and whack, clock this cougar or whatever was coming for him. And so that's what David has in mind when he says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Even though I walk through this valley, even though I know I'm easy pickings for a predator right now, I fear no evil because your rod and your staff they comfort me. I know that if a lion comes down the, into this valley, man, he's got to deal with you. He's got to deal with my shepherd. I have no reason to fear. Right? So we think about those times in our lives when we are walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Sometimes there are trials that are necessary for our good, and we don't understand it, and I won't venture to try to explain it. 
There are so many different situations and so many different things. I know that those valleys of shadow of death in my life, I can look back now and hindsight says, I see why that was necessary. But, but I don't know in, in your life and, and I don't want to try to diminish anyone's pain, anyone's suffering, anyone's trial whatsoever. But I'm just saying sometimes these valleys are necessary and they take us from one place to another. It's, it's taking us to the grasslands on the other side where we can graze all summer long. And when we're in those moments and you feel like death is coming in around you, know that the shepherd is with you. His rod and his staff, let them comfort you. Verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. This is one of those things that I didn't understand until I, I went to this and studied it, and, and I was uh, kind of delighted to find that there's, there's a dual meaning here at play with this verse. At, at first glance, unless, uh, I mean, you, you, many of you may catch this, I didn't, but it just seems like you're, you've stopped talking about sheep, and now you're talking about preparing a table for like a feast or a banquet. The Lord pre prepares this table before me in the presence of my enemies, Right, which is, which is awesome. This is a, uh, certainly a meaning here. There's a bold display before my enemies, right? That, that when the Lord is with me, he can set up this table and the enemies can be watching and it doesn't even matter. How cool is that? In the presence of my enemies, you prepare a table before me. Let's sit and eat. We have nothing to worry about. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know we're surrounded by enemies. Doesn't matter. Let's eat. Let's enjoy. That's great. I love that. There, there is a, a second meaning there, though, which uh, certainly I think David would have had in mind. So once you go through this valley, heading toward the uh, you know, high grasslands for the summer, they would call those tablelands. They were often at the top of a, of a hill or a mountain. There'd be a plateau with these grasslands, and a shepherd goes before his sheep and prepares that tableland, prepares that, that plateau for summer grazing. And, and one of the tasks would be going ahead of the sheep and, and looking at what's growing, and if there are poisonous weeds that would be harmful to the sheep, they get plucked out or destroyed or marked off so that the sheep would not get them. A shepherd would survey the area for enemies. Are, are there predators out here? Are there uh, wolves camped out or something that I need to run off and chase off? He prepares this table before me. And in the presence of my enemies, uh, I, I guess it would be common in these plateau lands, there'd be uh, you know, rock ridges and, and different things. And uh, oftentimes, because it's so open, uh, the, the predators would hide on the edges and look for opportunities to pick off stray sheep. And so that's what, what David is possibly talking about here is he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Isn't that cool? I, I never knew that. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. So again, there's, there's dual meaning here. There's, there's the oil of blessing, and, and this was literal in David's case when he was a young man, 
that the, the prophet of the Lord anointed his, his head with oil, marking that, that you are blessed of God and, and you are chosen by God to be the king of, the, of his people. So there is this oil of blessing that you anoint my head with oil. And apparently this too has a second meaning when dealing with sheep. I didn't know this. It relates to nasal flies, right? Um, this is apparently a big deal for sheep. Uh, in the summertime, with this wonderful open grazing, also comes fly season. Uh, these are things that we miss because we, not many of us are shepherds. <laughs> but it's fly season. And these bugs, there are apparently these things called nasal flies that are a particular problem for sheep that would, uh, they love buzzing around the moist noses of sheep and they lay their eggs, this is so gross, but they lay their eggs inside the noses of sheep, which then after a few days hatch into uh, larvae that will crawl around inside the head of the sheep. Is this so gross? This is nasty. And sheep, th this becomes such an irritant to sheep that they shake their head vigorously. They will slam their head into trees or into the ground to try to get rid of this annoying, irritating feeling of this these fly larvae in their nasal passages. Sometimes sheep have been known to beat themselves to death trying to deal with this. Isn't that so awful? So gross. The grossest thing I learned this week. Um, <laughs> so one of the ways that shepherds deal with nasal flies is they smear in, in a, a mixture of oil and herbs and whatever on the noses and on the faces uh, on the heads of sheep. And these fragrances and, and oil will keep the flies away. And, and in that, that shepherd's guide to Psalm 23, that, or, or a shepherd looks at Psalm 23, uh, was the name of the book that I read, he talked about the change in attitude of, of sheep from this like, you know, the flies are buzzing around and they're freaking out and they're running into things and everything else and you anoint their head with oil uh, that you carry around and now the, the flies completely leave them alone and they calm way down. No more big deal. Isn't that great? So we, we think about within our life the, these, uh, these little things, these little distractions and annoyances. Imagine David as a king. Imagine all the little irritating things that would be enough to drive him nuts. All the things that need to be dealt with in, in your role in life, the, the needs of your children, the needs of your family, uh, you know, siblings or um, you know, your, your parents or, or whatever, the needs within your job, uh, the needs even within the ministry. If, if you serve and, and volunteer and, and help a church, there may be all of these needs and all these things can be enough. They pile up and, and they could be enough to drive you crazy. And we know that the good shepherd, he anoints our head with oil. He protects us. He can calm us. He can, he can keep us from banging our heads into the wall until we die. Uh, by, by doing this. This is what David describes. You anoint my head with oil. Uh, th the other thing that was pointed out here as I was reading that is that this oil must be applied regularly. Right? This is an ongoing process that um, many times we, we think about the, the Christian life as being kind of one and done. Right? Well, I prayed a prayer one time. The Lord anointed my head with oil in that sense and now I'm good. But that's, that's not the case with these sheep. They would need to have this oil applied regularly, which implies that there is, 
constant communion with the Lord, constant interaction with the shepherd that he is, he is always watching out for and, and protecting his sheep. And verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What's so great here is that the valley of the shadow of death from just before does not discourage David beyond hope. He, he starts this psalm with incredible hope and joy. The, you make me lie down, you lead me by still waters, you restore my soul. And then he immediately starts talking about the valley of the shadow of death. And yet, by the end, we're only talking about six verses, right? But, but by the end, he can say, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I may be in the valley of the shadow of death. I may feel like death's very cloud is hanging over me. And yet I can say, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. That is how uh, hopeful David is, even after going through that valley. I, I found uh, in my studies this week uh, a logo from the American Baptist Foreign Mission Society. Uh, I don't know anything about them whatsoever, other than their logo, which is super cool. Um, the, their logo is an ox standing between an altar and a plow. And it says across the top, ready for either. You get that? Th this is a mission society, and they say, we are like an ox. May we be sacrificed on the altar to your glory, or may we, we, may we be set to the plow to do the work. We are ready for either. Isn't that so cool? I want to say something else, but I'm on stage, so I shouldn't. So bad. Uh, and I'll leave it at that. Um, this, this mission society was formed in 1814 when the average lifespan of a missionary in the field was two years. So these guys were the real deal, too, right? When they say we're ready to be sacrificed or we're ready to be put to work, they signed up knowing, I've probably got two years. That's the average lifespan. They died of diseases from these uh, random places they went into or martyrdom as they were killed. And they say, we're ready for either. Isn't that so great? I, I, I think of that as, as David says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. What's not being said there is that uh, easy, comfortable life is coming my way. That may not be the case at all. And for many Christians throughout much of history, for many people who have chosen to follow God instead of doing what the world would suggest, that has not been an easy road. Right? I think this, this too goes right along with what Matt's been talking about, with the kingdom of God. We look to a kingdom that is beyond this world. We look to a kingdom that is bigger than, than this right now. We look to a kingdom that is bigger than this world. David was ready for either. He said, God, use me. If I need to be sacrificed, if I need to be put to the plow and work hard, use me, Lord. And I want to 
I want to echo that. I want to read this psalm and say, despite whatever comes, despite whatever meets me in the valley of the shadow of death, I know goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life, even if those days are brief. That's so great. David had a hope in a Savior that was to come. David was around before Jesus, and his hope was in the, the fact that God said he would send a Savior. David hoped in that Savior that was coming, and he was able to say this. He, he hoped in a God who was invisible but active in his life. Now, we have assurance of goodness and mercy all the more because now we live on this side of the New Testament, right? We, we know that Savior that David was waiting for. We know Jesus. We, we can look at historical records and see what he did, see who he was, see what his claims were. We have his words written down for us. How much more should we be able to say, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In Isaiah 53, verse 6, Isaiah also talks of sheep and a shepherd, and, and he says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is where we get our assurance of goodness and mercy to follow us all the days of our life. It comes from Jesus, who although we were like sheep and went astray, although every one of us has gone our own way and not God's way, although every one of us de deserves to be slaughtered, Jesus bore the iniquity of us all. Jesus took that all on himself. Jesus became like a sheep when he came and walked on this earth. Though he was not truly a sheep, right? Jesus is the good shepherd, yet he, he was like a sheep in the time that he was here. He suffers for the sheep. He suffers in our place. And he ushers in a new table, right? As heaven is described as the wedding feast of the Lamb, we look forward to sitting at that table, which Jesus is preparing for us. In eternity, in heaven, forever with him, that's what he ushers in. This is how we dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And I just want to end real quickly with John chapter 10, where Jesus uses the same metaphor of, of a shepherd and sheep. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but, but just a couple of little excerpts here. John 10, uh, this is in verse 9. He first describes himself as the gate or as the door to the sheep. He says in verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Jesus is the way in. He is 
the way to be saved. When, when David says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, this is what he's talking about. Jesus says, if you want that reality, I am the door. I am the way into that forever. And then he goes on, if we jump down to verse 11, Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd, uh, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees a wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Jesus is contrasting anyone else who would offer to be a shepherd and himself. They are but hired hands. Everything else we would look to for goodness and mercy at the first sign of a wolf, it will leave us abandoned to our own. But Jesus is the good shepherd. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I think as we read that and, and we look at that, I would just end with this question. Is Jesus your shepherd? This is not a default position, but this is something that Jesus invites us into. Oftentimes we, we, we just say, and in our culture it's, it's pervasive, and we go, yeah, I'm good with God. We're all God's children. Yeah, yeah, he's a shepherd, okay. But th this is not what Jesus says. This is not what he calls us to. He says, I am the door. I am the way in. If you want me to be your shepherd, I want to be your shepherd. But you must enter through this gate. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, right? No one comes to the Father but through him. He is the gate. He is the good shepherd. And I would say, if this is something that maybe you've known but you've wandered from, are, are, are you maybe one of those wayward sheep? Or if this is not something you've experienced, you, you say, no, Jesus has, has not been my shepherd. He's not been my king. He's not been my savior. I've known him only at a distance. I would say, place your faith in Jesus. Invite him in to be your good shepherd and experience all the joy and comfort that comes along with that. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for this passage. I thank you for this metaphor. As you would allow yourself to be described as a, as a shepherd. Out in the wilderness, doing the hard work, a little smelly. But God, you, you say, I'm the shepherd. Because there's, there's such an intimate relationship there between the shepherd and the sheep. One that David knew and one that, Lord, I pray we know a little better this morning as we dig into the meaning of some of this. God, thank you for being our shepherd. Thank you for describing your relationship with us in a way that we can understand. Jesus, thank you for laying down your life for the sheep. Being willing to be put to death and then to rise again for the sake of your sheep. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.